Welcome to Convention Pulpit Teen Edition, brought to you through the ministry of Time of Discovery, a division of Interchurch Holiness Convention. Subscribe to this podcast or visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and for more information on this ministry at www.ihconvention.com. Dan Stetler has been mightily used by God throughout the course of his ministry. For 20 years, he pastored the Bible Methodist Church that is now in Franklin, Ohio. He is currently the president of Hope Sound Bible College in Hope Sound, Florida. He preached this message in 2011 entitled, God is Looking for You. I come to uh, I come to this time this morning a little bit apprehensive. Uh, I was sitting up there thinking, I know my face looks stern and mean, and I don't want it to. I found myself clenching my teeth like this, and when I do, it doesn't look good. I remember I took my little girl to school one day, and or I went to pick her up actually, and. A little girl was coming out, and I said, hey, is my daughter in there? And she said, yeah. I said, well, you run tell her for me that, uh, that, I'm, that I'm out here and I'm ready to go. And she said, okay. And she ran back into school and said, hey, your dad is out there. My daughter told, him, told me this when she came. I said, hey, your dad is out there, and he looks really mad. <laughs> well, I wasn't mad in the least. That never even crossed my mind. I just was asking her to do the legwork for me. I probably should have gone and done it myself. But another little girl in the room spoke up and said, oh, her dad always looks mad. <laughs> so, to be honest with you, if I look that way this morning, it's probably because I'm nervous more than anything else. And you might say, why are you nervous? We're teenagers. You've talked to bigger crowds. You've talked to more people. You've talked to some people who were very bright and smart and could correct you if you were wrong. I know, but I remember when I sat where you sat, and I remember when people who were older came and talked to us and tried to be really cool and identify with us, you know, use the kind of language that we used and try to be, just, just try to be cool. And I remember... I remember saying, I wish he'd grow up and act his age instead of his shoe size. (laughs) So now I'm in that place. I'm not coming to try to be cool. I'm not coming to try to impress you. I'm here for two reasons. One is they asked me to come. And the other is that all of my life, I've had a deep concern and interest in young people. And I'm so thankful that at convention today, we have an opportunity to have a time of discovery a time especially dedicated to young people because I remember when IHC didn't have that and I'm glad they've taken steps to make that provision. I remember when we had what we called Youth Congress and Youth Congress met in Salem, Ohio in the dead of winter between January, the uh, I'm sorry, between Christmas and January 1st, that week in between there, was when that was always held and of course Salem's a part of the in a part of the country where the snow belt is so often it was difficult to get there snowstorms and sometimes even road closures and things of that nature but I remember what it was like getting together with a group of other young people in that church and packing it to the walls and singing and having young people sing to us from Bible colleges and others that sang and it was It was just a really, really special time of challenge to me. In fact, those youth congresses really impacted my life. Dr. Dave Gorduk, who now lives at Hope Sound and teaches there and helps as a pastor in the church, was young at that time, and they were doing work on college campuses, and God was doing some really special things. And it it just was a real challenge to me to believe that God can help us when the hippie generation was everywhere and 
on college campuses. They were rioting and throwing desks out windows and burning buildings to the ground. In the midst of all of that, it was good to know that God could still save and change some young people. And he did. There were many, many young people that were changed out of that era. Well, I come to you today not to try to be one of you because unfortunately I know that a lot of years have passed in my life. But I do come here, I believe, with a message for you this morning. I do come with something to say. Because not only do I care about what happens to you, I care about what happens to the holiness movement. I care about what happens to my children. I care about what happens to our students at Hope Sound Bible College and the other Bible colleges. We're living in tremendous days in our world. I don't need to tell you that. I'm sorry that you have to come on the scene when we've got your future borrowed against as a nation until God only knows what the future will hold financially. I'm sorry that you have to come on the scene when, unfortunately, our president has taken a philosophy that he needs to apologize for our country, and he's gone around the world doing that. And the philosophies and values that he espouses are often directly in conflict with the Word of God. I don't know where that's going to lead. I don't know what's going to happen with the gay agenda. I don't know what's going to happen with, with atheistic liberalism that often dominates in government. But I do know this. I do know that in the most dark and desperate of times, God is always somewhere near. God is always working and looking. This morning, I want to go to one of those times in Scripture. It's a time that, it's a time that is uh, as dark as any time in Scripture. There was a young man who became king. His name was Manasseh. His father had been a phenomenal king. I mean, someone that had turned to God with all of his heart and all of his soul. But Manasseh, who was born in the latter part of his father's life, his father had his life extended by 15 years, if you remember. He was born in that period, and he actually became king while he was a teenager. And I don't know why all happened that did, but I know this much. Manasseh turned away from God. He turned his back on everything his father had done, everything his father had taught him. He went the other way as hard as he could go. He not only did what everybody around him was doing, he went beyond that. The Bible clearly tells us that Manasseh's sins exceeded the sins of the people that God had cast out before the children of Israel even ever, ever got into the land of Canaan. And he went beyond and not only did that himself, but the Bible says he seduced others to sin. In other words, he enticed others, others to sin. And he, they literally pushed God over the edge. And God had said, I'm going to wipe you like a man wipes a dish, turning it upside down. I'm going to hang beside you the plummet, the plumb line that measures Straightness. I'm going to hang that against your life and show how far you have pushed beyond my rules and my guidelines and what I've asked you to do to be my people. And then I'm going to destroy you. And he did. It was with a vengeance. He brought the people of Babylon on the people of Israel and they plowed the streets and battered the walls to the ground. They burned the gates. They destroyed every building, every house of every noble person that was any significance in that city. And by the time they were done, it just became an awful pile of rubble. One that people would walk by and shake their heads and say, wow, their God was really mad at them. And he was. He was pushed to the limit. And I need to tell you today that whatever you do in your life, you can't push God forever. There is a place where you push him and judgment will come. And I'm concerned that we as a nation are doing that. Maybe you read about the horrible tornadoes that ripped across the South yesterday. A few years ago, we had five hurricanes in one season that battered Florida. From both sides, tore the place up. We have had earthquakes. We have had all kinds of things. If you look at Scripture, when those kind of things happen, people turn their hearts to God. 
And what I want to say to you today is that as young people, I want to challenge you at this point in your life, turn to God with all of your heart and be a part of the solution rather than a part of the problem. In the midst of this dark, dark picture, God gives us an amazing insight into himself. And in the book of Ezekiel chapter 22, you really don't need to turn there if you don't like. I just want to read a couple of verses. God says this. He bears his soul and says, I was looking for a man to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. That's the way the King James Version says it. What it really means is I was looking for somebody to fill in the defensive wall to make up the place that was broken for my people. And I couldn't find anybody. And because of that, judgment came. If you read verses 30 and 31, it's just, it's just heart-wrenching. Here's God saying, if somebody will step up, if somebody will do what I want them to do, I can stop this process. But he said, I couldn't find anybody to do that. And so verse 31 says, therefore, in light of that, there was nobody to stand in the gap. I poured out mine indignation upon them and have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their head, saith the Lord. That's a strong verse, but you've got to put it in context. It comes right up against God actively seeking for somebody to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. I want to say to you this morning, God is looking for people today. I told you already some of the things that have happened, and you can believe what you want, but I don't think we can thumb our nose at God as a nation and it not have consequences. I don't think we can expect to go on indefinitely doing our thing, ignoring God's day, legislating him out of the marketplace of, of our lives and banning God from schools and banning religion. If it's Christianity, it's even more seriously pushed out than if it was Buddhism or Hinduism or some other religion. And I simply don't believe we can do that forever and not have consequences. But one of the reasons I'm standing here and talking to you today is not to trouble you about the future or give you concern over that. It's to say that over and over and over again in Scripture, God did look for somebody and he found somebody. Now, once in a while, it was an older person. There are a few examples in Scripture. I think of Moses, for example. He, as a young man, he almost missed God's plan, took his things in his own hands and tried to do it his own way and blew it, blew it, ended up running for his life and spent the next 40 years of his life on the backside of the desert thinking that everything was done. His life was over. All he was going to do all of his days was wander behind sheep. I'm so glad today that God is the God of second chances and he went looking for Moses and sent him back to lead his people out. But when Moses did that, he was an 80-year-old man. I think about Caleb who served God all of his life, never wavered. But he was in the midst of people who were wicked and vile, people who would not believe God. And they one by one died in the wilderness until the last man was gone, except for Caleb and Joshua. And then when Caleb was an older man, he said, give me that mountain. God has kept me and I'm able to go out and come in and fight enemies. Give me that mountain. And God gave it to him. So there are examples of older people who accomplish things for God. But when I began to prepare for this, this message this morning, it suddenly dawned on me that if you go throughout Scripture, you'll see over and over and over again, when God went looking, he went looking for young people. He went looking for a young men and young women who were willing to step up to the line and say, here, Lord, you can use me. Here I am, Lord. I'll be yours. I'll do what you want me to do. I have a deep conviction in my heart that the major problem with our movement and our world today is not the young people. 
I know lots of slapping goes on all these kids, these kids, these kids. I remember when I was a beginner. I remember when I was just starting to pastor. I remember coming to IH convention right here and hearing a man get up behind that pulpit and say, nobody wants to serve God and nobody's serious and none of these young people, they want to go the way of the world. I was supposed to preach that night. It was one of my, I guess it was the first time I ever preached here. By the time he got done telling us all we didn't want to do, I was fired up. And when I got up there, I'm surprised they ever let me speak again. I said, I want to tell you something tonight, and I don't come as a smart aleck, but I just want to tell you, there are some young people who do want to do what God wants them to do. There are some young people who care about following God. There are some young people who've done some praying and fasting. It's not all gone, done, over, and finished. He just kind of sat there and looked at me like frogs in a hailstorm. But it was true then, and I know it's true now. I know there's some young people right here that you may not have all the knowledge in the world. You may not have studied theology to the nth degree, but in your heart there's a passion to do what God wants you to do and be what God wants you to be. And I'm here to tell you today, God knows that, and God's looking for you. Over and over in Scripture, it's young people. In the book of Genesis, God comes to a young man, freshly married, Abraham, and he says, I want you to leave this place. I want you to go to a place that I'll show you. Undoubtedly, everybody around him looked at him and thought, the guy's nuts. This is where civilization is. You're going to wander out in some wilderness and take your new bride there? But Abraham had heard from the God of heaven, and God was about to do something very special, something that is still impacting your life today. God was about to start a nation that would give us his word, a nation that would give us the Messiah, a nation who would offer the world hope through the person of Jesus Christ. And Abraham said, all right, Lord, I'll go. And he took off. His dad went with him. But his dad got tired of the journey and sat down and wanted to build a city and stop. And God said to Abraham, I didn't call you to this city. You're not done traveling yet. I want you to leave your father's house. And he did. And God made of him a great nation. You go a little further in scripture and you read the story about a young man by the name of Joseph. Basically a spoiled brat. The favorite son who got all the good stuff and made his brothers and sisters hate him. I hope you don't live in a home where there's favoritism, but Joseph did. And because of that favoritism, on the, one, on the one hand, he had the good stuff in life. On the other hand, he had the bitterest hatred of his brothers. And one day they saw their opportunity and they changed that spoiled boy's life forever. They sold him into slavery. You remember that story. It was a downward spiral down into Egypt, into slavery, into prison, laying in prison for years. And it seemed like nothing was ever going to work out. But I want to tell you something. In all of that, Joseph had a heart that said, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to honor God. And the day came when, when word came from, uh, from Pharaoh saying, I want to see that fella. And he got up and came out of prison and interpreted the dream and God made him the man that stood between a whole region that was in danger of starving to death. He even saved his own brothers who had sold him into slavery. He became God's man at the moment and saved a whole segment of the world from death through starvation because he followed God and did what God wanted him to do. About 400 years later, there was a young mother. Her name was Jochebed. You may not know that name. But Moses' mother and father were Amram and Jochebed. And Jochebed was a young mom who lived in a horrible day. Horrible day. Pharaoh was a tyrant that had nobody to contest him. If he said, you kill baby boys, then you kill baby boys. And under that awful decree, she had a son. But when she looked in, that, in the face of that son, she not only had the same love every young mother has, but she had a passion to follow God. And the Bible says she made a choice. She wasn't going to fear what the king says, and she was going to do what God wanted her to do. And when she began to do what God wanted her to do, God began to do what she could never do. 
She made a basket. Well, she hid the baby for a while, and he got bigger, and she couldn't hide him. Then she made a basket, put it on the river. God brought the, queen, the, uh, the pr uh, princess down there, and she found the baby, and his life was preserved. A young mother who had the courage, the courage to face the threat of death in her life and follow God and do what he wanted him to. And because of that, she was able to bring this world a son who preserved a whole race of people. You go into the book of Judges and you read some incredible things there. You read the story of a young man by the name of Gideon. A nobody. You can, you can hear it in his own words. I can't fight. I'm nobody. My family's nobody. But when he did what God told him to do, with 300 men who had for their weapons pitchers and lights and trumpets. He chased the armies of hundreds of thousands and delivered his people. I go to the book of Ruth. Everything was wrong about Ruth. She was born in the wrong place. Her race was started as the result of incest. Back in the mountains somewhere after having staggered around his whole life. Lot is back there and his daughters who've been so infected by Sodom. Say nobody's going to marry us and they make their own father drunk. And he fathers his own grandchildren. A sordid awful beginning and two races sprang from those sons that were born to those women. Moab and Ammon. God's decree against Moab and Ammon was strong and clear and permanent. No Moabite, no Ammonite ever comes into the children of Israel till the 10th generation forever. So she was born down there where the sordid, the immoral, the vile had been intermingled with religion. Some Jewish people came down there to get away from a famine in the land of Israel. And she got her eyes on one of those boys. It was against God's law. It should never have happened. But she married that young man. So here she is coming from the wrong place, worshiping idols, an immoral society. She marries out of the will of God. It looks like a dark, hopeless case. But that girl who never had a chance and never knew any better had a God in heaven who was looking for someone, looking for someone whose heart was right toward him. And he found that young woman. And you read there in the first chapter of the book of Ruth, one of the most incredible stories. She said, I'm going with you. Don't ask me to leave you. Where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I lodge. Where you die, I die. Your God's going to be my God. And it's going to be that way forever. Don't ask me to change. I want to tell you something. When you've got a heart that says, Lord, I'm going to serve you whatever it takes, whatever it costs, wherever it leads, you set heaven. You set heaven in motion. And that young woman did. That Moabite, that Moabite became a part of the line of the Messiah, became a part of the family of Jesus Christ. What a journey. What a young woman. You could talk about Samuel coming from a dysfunctional home, multiple, multiple wives in that home, bitter strife, raised in a sordid environment, where those who were supposed to be religious leaders were practicing greed and lust and immorality right in the tabernacle of the worship of God. But one night, there was a God who called out to that young man. Samuel didn't even recognize his voice, didn't even know who God was. He'd been around Eli, he'd been around Eli's sons that the Bible describes as children of the devil. He didn't even recognize God's voice. But God kept calling until he got his attention. And in some of the darkest days, when one young woman who died in childbirth said, Name my child Ichabod, that is, God has departed. In those darkest of days, God was looking for a Samuel to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. And he turned the course of that nation. Thought about David. He was the youngest in the family. They didn't even bother to call him when Samuel came to look for a king. They didn't even bother. 
They brought all the big boys, the older boys, the good-looking guys. And finally they said, don't you have any more sons? Oh, yeah, we got the youngest. He's out watching sheep. But we didn't think we'd bother. But when David came, God said to Samuel, that's my man. That's my man right there. I want you to pour the holy anointing oil on David. Thought about Esther, an orphan girl, taken in by an uncle, raised in a foreign country. Suddenly, she's thrust into a role no young woman in her right mind would ever want to be in. She's in a contest to see who will be the next queen. And she won. You say, oh, that'd be marvelous. Oh, yeah, it would, wouldn't it? When this guy could just shut you away forever, never see your face again. He could cut your head off if he chose. How would you like to have a husband that if he didn't like you, he could just decapitate you? That'd be an exciting life, wouldn't it? Call it sword dodging. But when the time came and the decree had been signed and the death warrant was on her people, Mordecai said to Esther, you, you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God was looking for somebody and he found a slender young woman. And she said, all right, you go pray. We'll pray and I'll go. And if I perish, I perish. But because God found her, he preserved a people. During that same period of time, during the captivity, we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They wouldn't bow to the king's image. Apparently, they were the only ones who wouldn't bow. You talk about feeling like a, a sore thumb sticking out. Everybody else is on their face, and you're still standing. And the decree for standing is you burn in that fiery furnace over there. They get a second chance. They don't bow. In fact, they tell the emperor, we're not careful to answer you in this matter for our God is able to deliver us. He will deliver us out of your hand and he's able to deliver us out of that fiery furnace. But if he doesn't, we still won't worship your image. It's no wonder that that story's in the pages of the Bible. Some young men who made up their mind. Daniel was one of their cohorts. And Daniel was a young man who wouldn't eat the king's food. But then when it came time for the lions to eat him, they wouldn't eat him either. I could go on and talk about many other people in the Old Testament. But let me move just quickly to the New Testament. I thought about Mary. God hasn't spoken in the world for 400 years. There's been no prophet, no vision, no nothing. Oh, yeah, religion has grown, but it's become Phariseeism or the Sadducees or the Zealots, somebody, somebody radical. Nobody's heard from God. But one day in Galilee, you can, you can see the disdain when you read the Gospels. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Oh, these are all Galileans. It's like they're saying, oh, those people are from hillbilly country. They're a bunch of hicks. They don't even know how to talk right. Their Galilean brogue comes through. The young woman that poked her finger in Peter's face and said, you're one of them, said, <coughs> pardon me, I can tell by the way you talk. Basically, she was saying, you're just a hillbilly. You know what? God was looking for somebody, and he found a young woman there named Mary. She hadn't done anything spectacular, but she had lived until God could say, you're highly favored. And as a result of that, the angel came, the Holy Spirit overshadowed, and she became the mother of Jesus. Thought about the apostle Paul, a fiery young religious terrorist, I guess you could call him, going into people's houses, forcing them to either blaspheme or suffer. 
doing it not only in Jerusalem, but going with papers to Damascus to do the same thing there. And there's little doubt in my mind that with the kind of man he turns out to be, had he continued that road, he'd have been tracking over the empire doing the same thing. But God was looking for a man. He wanted to evangelize the Mediterranean world. He had a New Testament to write, and he wanted this guy to write over half of it. And one day knocked him down on the road and got his attention and said, I want you. And by the time God was done, the apostle Saul had become the apostle Paul. His life had been so changed that now he becomes the author, as I said, of over half of the New Testament. He becomes the missionary pioneer that literally tacks down the Mediterranean world with the message of the gospel. He is stoned, he's shipwrecked, he's beaten, he's put in prison. He staggers from one place to another, but goes with a flaming passion in his heart that was born in his heart back there as a young man on, on the Damascus Road. And at one point they say, the fellows who turned the world upside down have come here. Say, well, those are all wonderful Bible stories. But we're not living in Bible days, Brother Stetler. Let me just remind you that none of those people knew they were living in a Bible story. It was just people watching sheep or people doing their daily duties, people finding themselves in the circumstances of life when God came looking for somebody to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. So I'm here to say to you today that in the midst of a life where you may be looking for a job or you may be trying to figure out what am I supposed to do for the future, when you've got your eyes on a goal or an objective and you want to do it real badly, but you're, you're not completely sure that's what God wants you to do. I want you to listen. Because God, the God who in Ezekiel's day, when everything was so dark, that God said, I'm looking for someone. And I can't find anybody. In this day, when there's trouble on every side and confusion and perplexity and uncertainty in our world and there's that kind of thing in your life as well, I want you to listen because God, God may begin to nudge your heart and touch your soul and direct your path. Nothing happens by accident in your life. It's not by accident that I'm here preaching to you this morning. It's not by accident that I'm preaching this to you. There are people, I'm absolutely convinced, there are people sitting right here this morning that need what I have to say. Not because I'm saying it, not because I'm some big shot. It's just because God is looking and he happened to say, put it on somebody's heart to ask me to speak. And he says, this is what I want you to talk about. I'm looking for somebody. And I'm looking in the lives of some young people right here this morning. Your response may be, I'm a nobody. My family's no big deal. Moses' mother and father were slaves. Their family had been slaves for generations, the better part of 400 years. That would take you well back beyond the founding of our nation. He may say, you don't know my family. I wouldn't take you to my house. I wouldn't introduce you to my kinfolks. I wouldn't take you to a family reunion. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. Well, join the crowd. I wouldn't take you to some family reunions either. There's some parts of my family I didn't know anything about until I was a man. And when I found out then, I was glad I didn't know till then. My mother was raised like an American heathen. But God was looking for somebody. And one day somebody walked all the way back to the end of a dirt road. Back to where a family with nine kids, three had died lived in a house where they still cooked out of a fireplace, not because they had to, other people weren't. 
Back there where a girl only had one dress, and when they washed it, she went to bed. Back there where they fought and scrapped and carried on. Back there where the oldest boy had had a girl pregnant by the time she was 13, and that was about 60, 70 years ago. When that just didn't happen. Somebody walked back to the end of that road and cornered a big strapping man well over six feet named John Lamb. and said, John, we're having a Brush Arbor camp meeting. No glitz about that. You put up poles, cut branches with leaves on them, lay them over the top to make a shield from the sun. And you have a camp meeting in the outdoors. We're having a Brush Arbor camp meeting, John, and we wish you'd come and bring your kids. That person who cared enough to walk back to the end of that road was a person who'd been nice to my grandfather in school when some other kids were making fun of him. And because of that, he said, get your, get your clothes on, we're going to church. And they went to that Brush Arbor camp meeting. There for the first time in my mother's life, she heard a sermon preached that told her Jesus died for her sins. And as a girl, about eight, nine, ten years old, that first sermon... She responded and went to an altar. Nobody came and prayed with her. Nobody slipped up beside her and said, Honey, can we help you find Jesus? Nobody came. She knelt at that altar. First time in her life by herself. There was a God in heaven who was looking for somebody. He knew where she was. Down the altar a little ways, there was a man... He'd come and several people gathered around him and they were earnestly telling him how to give his heart to Jesus. And my mother listened to what they said and gave her heart to Jesus. God saved my mother that day. But somebody went to my grandfather and embarrassed him. I don't know whether they really did or whether he just perceived that. But he got mad because somebody came and publicly asked him to go to the altar. And he stalked out of that brush arbor and said, I'll never go again. So my mother had found Jesus and went home to a church or to a home where she wasn't allowed to go to church. They lived in three rooms. A man and his wife and nine kids. Went with my mother to that home place here a while back. I said, Mother, how did you live in three rooms? She said, well, two of my sisters and I slept over in that corner on what she called a feather tick. That was a big bag, actually. Feed sacks sewed together and stuffed with feathers and straw and some stuff. She said, we'd throw it on that corner and three more over there and three more over here. And I couldn't believe it. But my mother said, come on, I want to show you something. And she took me around behind a rickety old barn and there was a gigantic piece of granite. And she said, God save me and I'd come out here. She said, I'd come out at night. She was a superstitious little girl, an ignorant heathen. And she said, I'd crawl up on top of that granite and I'd stand up on my tiptoes and look out over the trees looking for the first star. And when she saw it, she'd say, starlight, star bright, first star seen tonight. I wish you may, I wish you might have the wish I wish tonight. And then like a little heathen that she was, she'd say, I wish I could go to church. Family moved. Grandpa relented. And my mother got to go to church. And when she went to church, people began to help her and she began to grow spiritually. God was looking for somebody. God was looking for somebody to be a mother to six kids. Four of those kids were boys and he was going to call them to preach. The other two were girls and he had ministry ambitions for them as well. Somebody told my mother about God's Bible school in Cincinnati. She went and asked her daddy if he could go, if she could go. You got to understand they lived in the south. My grandpa was still fighting the Civil War. He said, no kid of mine's going north of the Mason-Dixon line and women don't need to go to school. Shut her down cold. 
But there was a God who was looking for somebody to stand in the gap in my life. My grandfather shortly after that opened the stall door of a mule that he kept to tend the tobacco that they raised on the farm. And that mule kicked him. Normally it was a very meek, mild animal, but something spooked it and it kicked him with both feet in the chest, knocked him across the driveway. He was a big old macho man, big men in that family. I had one cousin that was six foot nine and weighed 400 plus pounds, huge man. Several others. I, I was in a funeral. I weighed 185 pounds as one of the pallbearers, and I was the lightest one on that bench. When we sat on the front bench of a new church, it creaked like it was going to break. My grandpa was macho, wouldn't go to the doctor, probably broke a rib, punctured a lung. My mother woke up a few days later after praying and praying for her father to hear him in the kitchen saying, Oh, God, have mercy on me. Oh, God, have mercy on me. And he fell across the table and rolled onto the floor dead. They were so, their family was so poor that they couldn't send my mother anywhere. They couldn't even take care of her at home. The older kids had drifted off. One day my grandmother came to my mother and said, you know, you talked to dad, your dad about that school. You, you think there's any way you could go? And my mother said, I don't know. I'll see. To make a long story short, God's Bible school let my mother come with no money. No fancy clothes, no car, no nothing. But God was looking for a woman. He was looking for a mother to raise some kids. He was looking for a woman that has impacted my life so dramatically and so dynamically that she pointed me along with my father in God's direction. She'll be here this afternoon. She'll be here, I hope, in a wheelchair, sat in her backyard some time ago and looked out over the night and said, Mom, if you could do it over again, would you do anything different? She reached over with arthritic, gnarled hands and got her hand behind my neck and pulled me up till my forehead bumped hers and she looked me straight in the eye and she said, son, I'd do it all over again. I'd do it all over again. I was crying and she was crying and my dad was crying. God found a young person that he could touch her life, change her and make her what she ought to be made such a profound difference in my life. That's why I'm here today. That's why I'm here today, because God was looking. You may say, my family doesn't have a lot to offer. I'm the youngest, or I'm adopted, or I came from the wrong side of the tracks. My home's a mess. I'm a nobody from Hicksville. Let me tell you something. God's not worried about that stuff. God doesn't care that much about that stuff. It's not who you are or where you came from. Nobody strolls into God's throne room and says, it's me, Lord. I'm Dan Stetler. God doesn't care that much about names or lineage or heritage or rights or wrongs or anything else. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what the past is. I don't care what you can do or not do. I want to tell you today that God is looking for you. He'll walk the back roads of your life. He'll find you in the quiet moments and he'll tap on your heart's door and say, if you let me come in, I'll take you and make you and mold you. I'll give you a future. I'll give you a tomorrow. I'll build you into my plan, my cause, and my kingdom. And I'll be, let you be a part of making a difference in a world that desperately needs to have a difference made. The issue is not what you have to offer. It's what God has to offer. It's not what you can do. It's what God can do. This is not about human ability. It's not about glitz and spazzaz. It's not about great singing voices and fantastic piano music. It's not about an athlete. It's not about a, a brilliant scholar. 
It's about ordinary people being what God wanted them to be. I want you to know today God walks into your life and says, let me have your soul. Let me have your heart. Let me have your spirit. Give yourself to me and I'll make you. I'll shape you. I'll mold you. I don't have to tell you. Jesus didn't go to the Sanhedrin to find disciples. Jesus didn't walk the slick marble roads of Rome to find followers. No, he went down by the seashore. He found people who were nobodies. The secret was their spirits, their lives were filled with his spirit. He made a difference in their lives And in the world, within less than 300 years, those disciples, all of whom were nobody, within less than 300 years, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Why? Because of people? No, because of God. You say, well, why in the world does God work with people? I don't know. That's his business. It's not ours to ask questions. It's ours to understand and respond. I don't know why God chose to have me speak to you this morning. There are plenty of guys that are a lot younger than I am that he could have put this same message on their heart. But for some reason, he put me here. And he's put his thumb in my back. And he's helped me to preach to you today. And my message is simple and plain. It's time for you to start listening for God. Because he's looking for people. He's looking for people in tragic days, hurting days, dysfunctional days. In a world that's gone crazy. When it looks like there are dark clouds on the horizon. God is looking. He says, I sought for a man. (laughs) The clouds were coming in. The enemies were preparing for battle. God says, I'm looking and I'm not finding anybody. I want to tell you today that right here in this crowd, God has the potential to do everything we need for tomorrow's. Everything we need. He can staff the IHC. He can staff every Bible college there is. He can do bigger, better, beyond things, far beyond what we've ever done, my generation has ever done. The tomorrow's can be as bright as the promises of God. And I'm not just saying that. I believe it with all of my heart. God is looking. It's not like God sitting back in the heavens and saying, this bunch of idiots are ignoring me and I am going to zap them. I'm going to knock their heads off. No, God who loves people is saying, if you listen, if you respond, if you do what I ask you, I can make the tomorrows different. I guess I could have come and preached a lot of things to you this morning. But the bottom line is simply this. God wants you. He said, well, man, that's scary. What if he asked me to do weird stuff? I've been down that road. What if he asked me to marry somebody I can't stand? I've been down that road. I have. I remember thinking, oh, Lord, if I tell you, you can tell me who to marry. You'll give me some girl that'll have to walk around with my eyes closed. I can't stand to look at her. And I have to be saying she's not very pretty, but she really loves God. Let me tell you a little secret. I struggle over every one of those things you struggle over. Every one. Because it's the common lot of people, of young people, to struggle over who I am and what I am and what I want and what I have and what I don't have. Struggle over feeling weird and walking funny and looking funny and wonder why you aren't like somebody else and why they got all the gifts and you didn't. I know about that stuff, but I want to tell you something else. There came some places in my life where I said yes to God. I said, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll marry who you want me to marry. I'll be what you want me to be. I got to the place where I was so sick of spiritual cycles and of failure. I was so sick of what I was. And I came to God and said, Lord, I'm ready to sell out. I'm ready to be all yours. 
I could take you to the place where that transaction took place. That morning in a little camp meeting, kneeling in sawdust at an altar, brand new camp that hadn't even poured the floor yet. Nobody was praying with me that day. They'd all prayed all week as I'd struggled and frothed and battled and nobody was even praying that morning, but it didn't make a bit of difference because it wasn't about people around me. It was about me and God, whether I was going to surrender to him. And that morning I said, Lord, I'll do your will. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll take my hot, sweaty hands off of the steering wheel of my life and you can run this thing. You can tell me where to go. You can tell me who to marry. You can tell me how to live. I want to testify to you today. That was over 35 years ago. And today I live within walking distance of the ocean in South Florida in the center of God's will. I'm married to a beautiful woman who many people would probably say was the prettiest girl in the school. When I, when I asked her to marry me in the center of God's will, I went to pastor and pastored one of the finest churches around just about 20 miles down the road in the center of God's will. I've only been two places in my life. And while there have been plenty of trials and plenty of problems, there's a wonderful sense at 59 years of age that I've done what God wanted me to do to this point, and it's brought the greatest joy I could ever imagine to be in the center of God's will. He's a loving Heavenly Father. He's not a freak. He's not trying to do weird stuff to you. I thought, sure, if I let him tell me how to dress, he'd make me write letters on the back of my suit. And I'd spend the rest of my life walking around backwards so nobody could see the letters on the back of my suit, you know. I knew a man that had done that. The devil finds the freakiest thing out there and makes you think that's what God's going to ask you to do. But you know, there are no letters. No letters. Basically, God changed my heart till I can do what I want to do because I want to please him with all my heart. It's the greatest thing in the world. I want to tell you today, if the tomorrows are dark and empty and awful, it'll be because some of you didn't hear God's voice. It'll be because some of you didn't say yes to him. But I want to tell you on the other side, if you'll do what God wants you to do, the tomorrows can be as bright as the promises of God. God is looking for some people. I want you to stand with me. very common thing in youth camps and youth rallies to sing I'll say yes Lord yes to your will and to your way in fact we've sung it so many times it can become very glib to us but this morning as we pray I want you to look within your heart and I want you to listen for God's voice and I want you to say Lord if you're looking I'm available I'm available pick me Pick me, Lord. Let it be me. You know what? If you will, he will. He will. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit Teen Edition, brought to you through the Ministry of Time of Discovery, a division of Interchurch Holiness Convention. For more sermons or for more information, subscribe to this monthly podcast or visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, 18931 Route 522, Beaver Springs, Pennsylvania, 17812.